Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Miko Matsumura. Miko is a general partner at Gummy Ventures, a US $30 million investment fund focused on early stage blockchain startups and he's also a co-founder of the crypto exchange Evercoin. Miko fell in love with open source software 25 years ago as chief evangelist for the Java language and platform at Sun Microsystems. Since then, he has been building open source startups in Silicon Valley, including raising over $50 million in venture capital for developer platform companies such as Gradle and financial infrastructure companies such as Hazelcast. He has participated in multiple exits, including Infravio, Web Methods, and DB40. He is an advisor in successful startups like Celsius, Idle Finance, Pundi X, and Keyless. He has been an investor with Focus Ventures, a firm with over $800 million under management, nine IPOs, and 44 exits, and blockchain firm Pantera Capital. He holds a master's degree in neuroscience from Yale, where he worked on abstract computational neural networks. He is a name in blockchain, crypto, DeFi. What did we speak about? We spoke about the future of DeFi. We, we spoke about the growth of crypto markets. Is it stable? Is it going to continue to grow? We spoke about 
some basics of blockchain, crypto, and DeFi. We also spoke about uh, biggest misconceptions about blockchain and just some incredible entrepreneurial lessons that he's lived throughout his career and that now he imparts on some of the startups that he works with. I hope you enjoy. Let's jump into it. This is Miko Matsumuro, general partner, serial entrepreneur, and crypto blockchain DeFi evangelist. It's really, uh, I think I have to go like way, way back and I'm hoping it's not too grinding, but like, you know, I think I was always sort of a computer nerd. And when I reflect on it, uh, I really think that the thing that I was most seeking is like fairness and like order, right? So rules, like, a, a you know, basically a place where I could go where it was peaceful and, and everything was orderly and lawful, you know? So th I think that's why I became sort of a computer nerd. My first computer was an Atari 400. Uh, it had a 16K of RAM, which is pretty amazing. Like these days, you can't even put like a GIF image into a 15, 16K. Like, <laughs> they, like this, it's pretty small. And, you know, I really just kind of was geeking out the, the with that the whole time. Now... It's so it's so crazy because you know the journey I've been on is just extremely nonlinear. I'm three years now into venture capital as a general partner, you know, and before that, like twenty five or so years in entrepreneurship, uh, you know, and and before that, uh, academia. So you know, I went I went to uh, Yale University for neuroscience. So I was really studying uh, mostly abstract. Uh, neural network and computation. So I, I kind of have a bit of an AI background, but you know, it just turned out with the twists and turns that I got, I got really interested in uh, open source software. You know, and I think really, if if you want to stitch it all together from the get go, like I think the biggest theme that kind of stitches every phase together is really this quest for kind of fairness and like a better like a better world, you know? So I, I think machine adjudicated rules kind of for me have always been, you know, whether it was kind of dealing with, you know, growing up in, in Michigan and, you know, I really kind of retreated to my computer as just this very peaceful place where everything followed rules, you know? And if something was going wrong, you know, it was because you made it wrong, <laughs> you know, and yep. you needed to fix, fix your software and, you know, things will be set to right, right? So in a sense, it was just this ultimately, uh, it's just an amazingly kind of judgmental environment and, you know, in a way, an amazingly harsh environment, right? Because, you know, you just make one little tiny, tiny mistake, the thing is completely like doesn't do what you want, you know, and, and that kind of like crucible, you know, gives you these lifelong lessons you know and ultimately you kind of start steering towards the idea of freedom as being uh you know the uh, the option of uh basically submitting to different sets of rules right so that that's kind of the way i i see human freedom now is i just see it as you consent to abide by a set of rules and and that gives you freedom the thing that i think ultimately gives you freedom is the ability to withdraw your consent and to have uh, a decent place to go, right? Like if, if you have no decent place to go, then you can't, you're not free, right? So even if you're in a system that you consented to, you can't withdraw your consent if you don't have like a safe place to go, right? So in, a, in essence, like choice is really important. 
but you know i guess you know it's all this is very philosophical but i think you're probably i, I understand where this is going <laughs> you're talking to a crazily philosophical guy so you know it's it's kind of my nature to think to reason about this but you know this is really how i got into open source software you know mm -hmm. and open source is about nonviolence disarmament and choice right which is basically if i'm writing software and i open source it I'm basically surrendering it before the relationship even starts. I'm surrendering my ability to coercively control you. I can't control you because of my control over the software cuz cuz you can just leave, right? Like so the idea of like fork it and go, mm -hmm. right? It's is essential to my idea of what freedom is, right? Because, you know, if you can imagine if you're living in a home that's unsafe, right? Having a safe place where you can go is is like the only way you can actually have freedom right if you have nowhere to go you're trapped you're just stuck mm -hmm. there in this kind of hellish scenario right but like if you have a safe place to go right so imagine with open source software that you can actually just replicate the place where you are exactly and then subtract the parts you don't like anytime you want right and anyone who wants to come with you to this new version is free to do so right that's that's this idea of like forking a blockchain, right? Is you can fork it and you can just change the things you want to change. So the thing to me that's very beautiful about this, so this is kind of ultimately how I landed from open source software all the way to kind of blockchain technology, which of course is in the large part open source. So that that's been my kind of musing and fascination, you know, since I was uh, you know, 14 years old sitting in my house, you know, just playing on my computer. <laughs> But but even blockchain is is an attempt at freedom from institute from ingrained entrenched institutional systems, right? That's yeah, that's what that's it is. Bingo. And the thing that's fascinating is is that the existing systems aren't able to offer a, a freedom. They're not able to. And the reason why I assert they're not able to is is even if you like it there you still don't have a choice. Like you don't have an alternative financial system where you can basically choose to go, but now you do, right? So, you know, what, what has emerged out of blockchain technologies is this alternative financial system. And the thing that it does is it, it does two things, right? The first thing it does is it, it competes for consent. So, you know, what that means is, is that it's trying to serve you the best, right? And if you don't like it, you don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't come over, right? So, so it, in essence, but the other thing that it's doing other than providing an alternative is it does what all alternatives do, which is it keeps the competition honest, right? So it actually now says, I'm going to compete for your consent. So the existing system must also compete. For your consent right and if you like me better then you'll come over here and if you don't like it then you'll stay right which is like what a nice thing right so it helps everyone and what i mean by it helps everyone is is you know let's say there's a safe place where you can escape like let's say it's a safe home right and let's say it's in a neighborhood that's a lot like where you live right so like the existence of that 
is great for people that need a safe place to go, right? They need to go somewhere, so they're going to go, and that gives them freedom, right? If you like where you are, then you should stay, right? So, it, but it gives, but what I'm what I'm suggesting to you is it gives you freedom too, even if you don't go over there. The existence of that gives you the ability to withdraw consent. So, if if, if suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're like, okay, the system was working beautifully for me, and now it's not. So now I have a place to go, right? And even if you don't ever go there, it's still going to keep the system you're in honest, right? Because, you know, because of that competition. So, you know, I, that's that's really kind of the mindset that, uh, you know, I, I'm excited about. Because, you know, when we talk about this kind of blockchain tech, like Satoshi Nakamoto created this entire paradigm around fork it and go, right? That's what he created. And so in a sense, like, you know, that means we're, you know, I'm not like a Bitcoin maximalist because like the whole point of it is, is anyone can fork it at any time. And if they don't like anything, they can just change it. Right. And so a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like this feature. I don't like that feature. Like, great. Fork it and go. Like, you know, uh, if it's better, everyone will go with, with your version. Everyone will but leave if it's better. So the issue, the issue with the evolution of this environment is that you have these highly technical individuals that adopt and, and subscribe to that mindset. But for the rest of the world that is just trying to keep up and understand because of the ability to fork it and go and to just create new and to create business and to create uh, you know alternative blockchains and to create uh, different applications and whatnot, it's very hard to keep up and to figure out what's good and what's not, which is really, oh, right? That's the, that's the issue. You're in it. You see what's good. You see, you can, you can, besides being a venture capitalist, you understand the actual technology, but then you also work with these, you know, these founders and these developers day in, day out. So the people behind certain other projects, obviously not Bitcoin, but other projects, like some of the ones that you've invested in, some of the ones that I'm sure that, you know, you work with every single day, you have an idea of what works and what doesn't and why it would work or why it doesn't make any sense, but you're, you're deep, like you're, you're in the weeds. Um, so that's the issue that everybody's running into, right? I think that is very, very legitimate, right? Which is that it is like this revenge of the nerds type of a universe. And <laughs> the thing that I think is so important is this, right? Which is, I think to me, uh, if I were to give any single advice to people who are new in this area is I would say like, don't be in a big hurry. Right. Like, like, just go in, don't invest like a huge amount, like just, just see what happens. Right. Cause the yeah. point is, is like, there's some games where you consent and I call them games, right. I'm talking about a system of rules that you consent to operate under. Right. So this could include a country where there mm -hmm. are laws, or it can include a monetary system like a Bitcoin, or it can include open source software. It can include a literal kind of a video game, right? Like all of these systems have rules that you consent to agree to. So the thing is, is that oftentimes the rule sets are complex, right? It could even it could even be like a cult that you want to join, right? It's like, oh, I want to join this cult, right? So so there's all these weird rules, and you're kind of like, okay, I don't, I consent to these rules until I don't, right? And so so there's this process that I call that that's called mechanism discovery, right? So mechanism discovery is is you play. Right, you play around and you're like, you know, it's just like going to a new country or a new place. You just, you're at first, you're a little bit like, I don't know 
what the deal is here, you know? And, and, you know, you can immediately be like, I don't like the way people are acting, you know? But maybe if you have curiosity and maybe if you're like, these seem like okay people, like, you know, then maybe you kind of are like, well, why do they keep doing that? Or why do they keep saying that? After a while, you might discover that there's some pretty cool stuff behind that, right? You might discover like, oh, wow, like I get why they're acting like that. That's so different, right? And then you kind of grow as a human, right? So, or, 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 it's a cult <laughs> and you mm -hmm, show up yeah. there and after after a little while you're like wow like <laughs> this whole freaking deal is rigged against me like they're they're trying to like mess with me and like take over and you know steal my house i don't know what they're doing but like my point is is that um that's why the ability to withdraw consent is so important for any reason at any time or for no reason at all Right. Like if, if you just are like, oh, I, I'm done here, like, boom, yeah. you should be able to get out. Now, the thing that's a little unfortunate is that there are systems in blockchain and in the Bitcoin area where you can't leave. Right. Like, like for example, in, in some cases where there's like a scam, like mm -hmm. you deposit a bunch of money and then you go over to the withdraw section. Like, OK, I'm ready to withdraw. I'm, I'm kind of sick of this place. And you click withdraw and then it just there's some, oh, it's a, it's a software bug. Like, you know, you, you can't get your things out ever, right? So like- And how many you know, times have you, you see that in the news every month, right? I think there was yeah, just one in South Africa. It was like 3 billion to, uh, it was just, just like last week, but it, it happens all it's the time. A, it's a little unclear. Uh, one of the really funny things about that is there was reporting about it that had their website and a past version of their website, fairly recent actually, was bragging about how they have like a hundred million in assets, right? And so like, oh, it's okay. unclear that it's as big as 3.6 billion. That is definitely what was reported. Uh, you know, if so, it's the largest uh, so-called hack in Bitcoin history. But, you know, I, I think that, um, but you're absolutely right. Like that that's an example, right? That's an example where it's like, oh, you can deposit, but you can't withdraw. Um, that's a problem, right? Like mm -hmm. so so you know, and obviously that's um, you know, that's the opposite of freedom, right? Because you can't leave, right? You, you, your your assets can't leave, right? And so part and that's, part that's of part of part I love this, by the way, I I actually love the philosophical the way that you you first went into this. I appreciate that a lot because that really helps frame it for somebody who is trying to understand the nuance of what Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, DeFi is. So um, one one thing that I would also point out is, and I just, I was watching one of your pizzas, you did like the surviving the wild west of DeFi. And I think there's a lot of great lessons in that for people that are seeing DeFi and trying to figure out what the hell it is. And even people that understood blockchain and, and Bitcoin before, and then what's DeFi. So um, one thing that is important though, is sometimes, it's not the system that's like you said it's not always a system of course the system if they scam you they scam you and the system doesn't let you leave but also it's your own personality it's your own um it's your own perhaps over indexing on on a system and over trusting on a system before you fully understand it which has led to issues and you yeah, spoke about that, that a lot that is absolutely core right which is i think to me people don't have a really good sense of like risk management, right? So if you watch professional asset managers like venture capital, right? One of the key principles is diversification, right? Because, you know, the thing that's really important to ask yourself is like, 
do I know what I'm doing, right? And the, by the way, the definition, so if you read the book Zero to One by Peter Thiel, right, he effectively defines an investor as someone who doesn't know what to do, right? And <laughs> the reason he defines it that way is, is an entrepreneur is someone who is basically quote unquote knows what to do because they're just doing the thing, right? They're, you know, so for example, if you take, you know, his most famous investment, Facebook, right? Like if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you're not diversifying. You're just going to go 1000 million percent into Facebook because that's the thing, right? And so the thing that, so by investing, you're immediately someone who doesn't know what to do, right? Because you're diversifying, you know? And so diversification is a very fundamental pattern of dealing with risk, right? So, so in a sense, like if you think about it, like, uh, you know, one approach is play, right? So when I describe play, right, the idea becomes that, you know, play has to be based on a losable amount, right? So I kind of call this like Grand Canyon money. Imagine you're at the lip of the Grand Canyon and you're throwing an amount of money into the Grand Canyon, right? Like, so whatever that amount is for you, like that's probably your first kind of Bitcoin purchase amount, you know? So if it's $5 or if that's too much, maybe it's like a buck 50 or whatever you can imagine throwing <laughs> yeah. into the Grand Canyon, right? Cause you know, and obviously like, you know, if you're picturing throwing your life savings into the Grand Canyon, like, you know, like good luck, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I, I think broadly speaking, like that's, that's, that's the first thing, right? Play. And then I think as you start to kind of get your feet uh, wet, then diversification, right? Where you basically take the number of Grand Canyon units and you maybe multiply that by like three or four and then you try three or four different things, you know, and, and each time you're kind of learning more and more about these games, you know, and as you learn more, you have a better and better chance of like deriving your own opinion. Cause that's the thing that I think is unfortunate is, you know, the existence of influencers in crypto is like just human weakness. Like it, it, mm -hmm. it's really, it's been, you know, it's been a toxic effect because, you know, most of the so-called influencers are, are, you know, they're self-interested parties, right? They're, they're basically predatory. So, you know, that, that's, so just, just blindly following what other people tell you to buy on the internet is, is just provably bad. For, for any reason, but especially when it comes to investing your money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If somebody is telling you to invest in something on the internet, uh, you know, you should, you should question their motives, right? And and you yeah. certainly should, you know, I mean, I I, talk, I have a show and I interview, like I've interviewed over a hundred founders, you know, and, uh, you know, every time it is something that I have made an investment and I certainly do disclose that and you need to kind of judge for yourself whether, whether and how much that's influencing the way I think and talk about this. But, you mm -hmm. know, uh, as, as it happens, like I'm a human. And so like, you know, it turns out that I get excited about, things and then I invest in them, you know? So if I talk about them in a way that's excited, it's because I was excited to begin with as soon as I saw this. But, you know, I, I think everyone should, you know, watch and watch how people behave and understand what their interests are. Um, what is your, is your, because you've invested in a, in a variety of different startups. So um, you've invested in some, in some various blockchain applications, but you're speaking a lot about DeFi now. So, why the is is DeFi just a big a major focus for i guess is that like the next iteration where all the the founders that's what they're really focusing on various applications of decentralized finance 
Um, what is, why is DeFi such a big thing right now in, in 2021? I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Canva. They put together a special offer for all Success Story podcast listeners. Go to canva.me slash success story if you want to take advantage. But what is Canva? Well, making content is an essential part of what I do to keep the show going, but it hasn't always been easy. Canva Pro allows me to design anything like a pro on any device. And I've been using Canva Pro for a while now for all content, for all social that I create for Success Story. So Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create stunning content with just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is fast and fun. You choose from thousands of templates for any type of creative, any type of device, or you can start from scratch as well. Canva Pro has endless premium fonts, photos, videos, so much more to add personality and edge to whatever it is you're creating. You don't have to go out and purchase any licenses or extra tools or extra photo rights. Everything's included. And if you work in a team, you can use Canva Pro with your team as well to keep everybody organized, all focused on top of all the team projects all in one spot. And most recently, they've added on a content planner. So you'll save time planning, creating, and posting social media content as well. You can schedule posts. You can pause schedule posts. You can edit them at any time. They are truly a content creator's dream. So if you want to design like a pro and use Canva Pro, right now you get an extended 45-day trial. You cannot get this just by going to Canva. You have to go through the link they set up for Success Story podcast listeners. Canva.me slash success story. You get a free 45-day extended trial. So you can try Canva Pro, all the features. They give you everything. Canva.me slash success story. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Posty. Now, it's no lie that in the competitive world of marketing, advertisers, marketers are trying to find a way to better connect and get in front of their audience. I've been trying to figure that out my entire career. You want to accelerate the growth of your company and you want to reach new customers with measurable results. But most of the existing channels are oversaturated. There's so much noise out there. So the best marketers are turning to direct mail, but wait for it, direct mail reinvented. One of the best kept secrets in marketing is that direct mail gets close to 100% open rate and is one of the most impactful ways to market a product or service, but it's expensive and it's cumbersome. Posty is transforming direct mail. They're adding all the digital marketing capabilities, tracking, KPIs, analytics that you would normally see in Google, Facebook, or YouTube paid campaigns. They're adding that to direct mail. Basically, Posty allows you to set up direct mail campaigns like a digital marketer. So it's a one-stop shop for building audiences, setting up campaigns with A-B tests, approving creative, tracking results in real time. It also integrates into your CRM, which allows you to build lookalike models from over 250 million US customers. You also have just as many targeting options as Facebook or as Google. And on top of all of this, it's fully automated. So you are operating all these campaigns from a web browser, from your laptop, and Posty takes care of all the printing and logistics and the mailing so that you are just pressing go. It's like direct mail with an easy button. 
Posty Campaigns allows you to attract new customers, retarget your website visitors and track conversions, re-engage your existing customers and increase their total lifetime value. For anyone that is looking to start, grow, scale a business, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the Success Story podcast audience. This can really elevate your marketing if you start using direct mail day one and Posty makes it really easy. It will make you stand out as a company. When you get a piece of mail, no one else is doing that. So if you want to get your free Posty demo, they've set up a special link. So go to posty.com slash success story. That is posty.com slash success story. They'll give you a free demo because Posty is direct mail reinvented for the digital world and the people that use something different, something that makes them stand out to market to their customers, will be the people who win. And direct mail definitely has that edge. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, DeFi, DeFi is like uh, effectively a killer application for blockchain technologies, right? Because the thing that powers it is the idea of programmable money, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing that becomes fascinating is how much automation and how much kind of... Um, sort of excitement that you can get by kind of having automation kind of taking over finance. So you have properties in DeFi like transparency, you have properties like uh, pseudonymity, you have properties like um, automated liquidation, you know, so you have all these really, really super powerful properties that enable uh, this kind of decentralized finance system to scale much, much bigger than traditional finance, you know, which is subject mm -hmm. to really complicated uh, issues. So, you know, we, we definitely are exceedingly bullish because, you know, ultimately blockchain, you know, back in 2017, you know, it was mostly just speculative projects, mm -hmm. you know, that, that never delivered, right? Whereas we're sitting here in 2021 and, you know, we kind of already have a whole bunch of killer applications in DeFi. So like DeFi is, it's real, it's real software, it's shipped. The shipped software is carrying economic value, you know, and that value is, is moving around, uh, you know. So it's a, that that to me is like really proof positive that this stuff works and it actually does what it says on the tin, and that that people are actually now getting value out of it. Because I think in a way, like obviously there's sort of a speculative value, but I think that mm -hmm. what's more important is that these systems serve, you know, users, right? And when you th if you think about DeFi users. Those users are basically, you know, opting into a financial system, you know, and they're getting financial utility out of this financial system. So that that's why they're using it. And that's why they're doing it. And, you know, they're, they're doing it quite a lot. So the difference between the difference between DeFi and excuse my ignorance, but say no, Bitcoin. So Bit, Bitcoin is just an asset that you're going to invest in, like a gold or a silver um, has obviously has no uh, has no application in terms of replacing an existing uh, process, for example. DeFi would ex replace potential ex existing processes much more efficiently, can scale it to, a, you know, scale it globally. Um, but does it also, ha it also has an investment component. So that's, so there's still an investment component. There could be an appreciating asset, depreciating asset that's layered onto these uh, decentralized finance applications or are those things separate is there no more investment yeah, yeah, yeah. Into... yeah no 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 it's absolutely fair to say right so broadly speaking the emergence of decentralized finance has produced an investable unit which is about 
effectively governance, right? So, okay. you know, effectively these kind of governance tokens are being used because effectively they allow for future participants in the network to govern the state of cash flows within mm -hmm. the network, right? So in, in, in effect, you know, those votes become uh, de facto control over the network. So that that's kind of As how... opposed to a central authority that would have that... That's right. That that's governance right. power. So, yeah. Correct. So the governance is basically done, you know, in most cases by things like voting, yeah. uh, you know, by by the stakeholders. So that's that's what, uh, you know, we're seeing. Obviously, decentralized governance has kind of quite a, a ways to go before it hits maturity. There's going to be a lot of tools, a lot of incredible discoveries, some chaos, you know, so it's, it's definitely <laughs> a young, it's a young field. But, you know, I think it's handling, uh, you know, billions of of dollars in value, you know, on a daily basis. So it's it's definitely, uh, you know, reaching a, a critical point, you know, where it's it's effectively deterministically a thing. You know, with respect to kind of defining terms, you know, obviously DeFi is decentralized finance. There are a lot of different definitions flying around, right? So I think it's it's important to kind of like you know stand on on a bit of a grounding right so mm -hmm. the way i look at it is is that it is about programmable uh money right so you know effectively um what it does is it secures the computations around transacting right so so it's effectively automation right mm -hmm. so so you know if you're doing lending or borrowing as a financial service you know, these, these are, they take the form of like vending machines, you know, so, yeah. so it's just these automated lending and borrowing systems. There's automated exchange systems, so-called automated market makers or AMMs, right? So basically just about everything in DeFi is automated, right? Because it's just a bunch of rules, right? So in a sense, yeah. it's sort of just like we going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, right? It's really just here are the rules. You can consent to playing by these rules, you know, and the thing that should give you some degree of confidence is the data is open. Mm -hmm. So it's transparent. So you can see everything that's going on. The code is open. So you can actually read the code and you can understand. I mean, you know, some some of us can understand uh what yeah. what what what's going on, you know, and then and then further, uh, you know, that that all informs your consent, right? Where you're effect effectively looking at it and you're like, I agree. I, I I can abide by that. And the thing that I think gives people confidence is machine adjudication, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can just say, okay, well, the machines will will follow the rules. Like I'm very confident in this system that the machines are going to follow these rules, and I don't have to worry about someone trying to do do something weird because you know because I think the machines will take care of the rules. So that's that's uh, the best. And and I think that and this is actually sort of a as you see the as you see the DeFi landscape evolving. You said it's still early on, but I think that. What a lot of uh, a, a lot of issues that people had with early blockchain applications is they they couldn't easily replace a consumer application. The the interface, the the lack of ability for most people to understand and read into the code that that's a a major uh, inhibitor. So with some of these applications, maybe just like walk walk the audience through a practical example of something that does have significant market share versus its non decentralized counterpart that is easy for people to use. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, to me, it's so early days. So, you know, if we're gonna try to point at things that are easy for people to use, I think you're gonna have a hard time coming up with much, right? To be perfectly honest, uh, you know. No, it's fair. Thing that, it's fair. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, the reason why is that uh, it's really this thing 
uh, called uh, cryptographic custody is the problem, right? Which is, so I had a friend, so, you know, my fund is invested in something called OpenSea, which is sort of a, a non-fungible token. It's sort of a collectibles marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the biggest ones. Uh, and and the thing that's amazing is I, I, I had a friend try to buy an artist's NFT off of this website. And, you know, he ended up just really just being pissed off and he was kind of cursing a lot on Twitter because, you know, he was like, why is this so bad, right? Like, this is so hard to use and blah, 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 you know? And I think he's kind of got a certain point, right? Which is that in essence, like in, in the normal traditional finance, there's something called a bank and a bank is an intermediary and you trust the bank, right? Mm -hmm. So in decentralized finance, you don't have to trust intermediaries right because the intermediaries are basically all kind of automatically compliant to the rules that are governed by the software itself right so in a sense like what happens is is people become their own bank right so so if you if you're if you're a bank then you need kind of bank grade cybersecurity mm -hmm. procedures you know and so the point is is that self custody of cryptographic assets is still janky and hard and confusing and not ready for consumer prime time so you know ultimately if you point you know to point at like consumer applications you know and say okay well these are going to be the consumer applications that are ready for prime time in blockchain they're all what you call custodial and what i mean by custodial is is that they all involve having a trusted intermediary Right, because the okay. trusted intermediary handles the custody. That's how Coinbase works, by the way. Right, so Coinbase, every user of Coinbase has to trust Coinbase, right? And if Coinbase decides to kind of screw everyone, like it's possible that they can. They have the ability to screw over all their customers. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they will, but I, but no. I, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. So my point is, is that you know, if you don't trust any third parties, then you need to have cryptographic custody. And that's what makes blockchain applications and DeFi kind of uh, the domain of nerds. And it's very complicated, right? So, um, you know, I think what's going to increasingly happen over the next few years is that we're going to have kind of blockchain as a uh, kind of a global system of record, you know, and that, that, but at the same time, I think largely consumers will use trusted custodial services right just like they used to you know but i think that that people will be able to withdraw things you know off the service right because the thing that i think is important about the ability like i said about freedom at the very beginning mm -hmm. the ability to leave right basically means i can withdraw from the system and then i can kind of have a decent option of a place to go right so yeah. the thing that's interesting about this becomes you know, uh, for example, let's say for whatever reason, Facebook, uh, like just imploded, right? So the question becomes, well, what about all my posts? And what about all my images? And what about all my data? What about all my social graph? What about all my friends? And, you know, like, can I just take all of that with me and go to another really nice place where I can get the same thing? It's like, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you can't, right? Because it's yeah. controlled by Facebook, the company which by the way, became a trillion dollar company recently. So that's- I just wanna take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp. If you wanna take advantage of a special promo, BetterHelp is offering all Success Story podcast listeners. Go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary. 
betterhelp.com slash S-C-O-T-T-C-L-A-R-Y. So what is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is therapy, for lack of a better term. It's the best way to give yourself routine maintenance for your mental and emotional well-being. And the best way to think about therapy is usually through analogies. We always get our cars tuned to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups and we go to the gym to maintain physical health so that we don't get out of shape. We want to prevent injury, we want to prevent disease. We do chores regularly so they don't all pile up and have a huge giant mess in your house by the end of the week. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're investing in yourself and keeping your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy from the comfort of your home. It offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You communicate the way you feel comfortable. It is so much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start speaking to somebody in under 48 hours. Take care of your mind before any more bad stuff happens. Success Story is sponsored by BetterHelp. You get 10% off if you use this specific URL to sign up for your first session. So go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, and you'll get 10% off BetterHelp. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the CRM that you have to have for your business. And whatever your business is up to, your CRM platform should be ready. Why? Because believe it or not, CRM platforms are no longer just a selling tool. They're the heart of building and scaling your business with tools for marketing, sales, customer service, content management, and operations. The HubSpot CRM platform is fully customizable for whatever your business needs. Use HubSpot to meet customer demand, align your teams, work smarter, not harder, scale up without having the need to slow down. With total control and over 650 integrations, HubSpot enables your team to succeed no matter how big or how small. Whether you're just getting started or looking for a robust system, HubSpot is the number one CRM for scaling businesses. Learn more about how you can customize your CRM platform at HubSpot.com. Did they? Oh, that's yes. news. I, I didn't they, know that. When was that? They, uh, very recently. So Oof, okay. past, in the past week. So, you know, that's incredible. So it is. It's been uh, yeah. nine years since the IPO and 17 since inception. So, you know, it's a 2004 era company. But, uh, you know, it's but the point is, is that, you know, they are they are a monopolist. And be, because of that, you know, people feel like they don't have freedom and they don't have anywhere to go. And, you know, if they become deplatformed, then they don't really have any option right so that mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's kind of a currently a, a, an issue that people are working on uh so you know i i think we have a ways to go in terms of replacing the whole internet with blockchain but you know we're we're working on it <laughs> now do you feel like so applications applications aside because the the evolving application environment i find is very interesting but like you said we're still early stages which is sad because to me that's the real utility of of blockchain but obviously that's not what most people look at blockchain as they look at blockchain as okay i want to invest and i want to make you know x percent return um yeah where do you think the market is is standing in terms of uh investment opportunity of course not not uh not a, not a recommendation just you know for entertainment purposes i'm curious as to your opinion if this growth of the market is sustainable or if there has to be again like mass adoption milestones that have to hit so the whole market can continue to sort of grow at this trajectory 
Uh, I, I've become a little bit leery of kind of mass adoption, you know, mass adoption is a little bit like democracy. Like it's, it's pretty nice kind of in theory, but mm -hmm. without education, it can have, it has a dark side to it. Right. Which is, you know, I think our last attempt at mass adoption featured like a bunch of, you know, doge coins and yeah, I know Shiba so coins. that's not the mass adoption we need. No, not it's not that. It, that's not what we need, right? What we need is, you know, we certainly need all of those people to come back, right? But we need them to come back smarter, right? Yeah. Like, like we need them to have learned a lesson, right? And it's it's a bit like you know a training. A I mean, you know, it's it's a little insulting to t talk about people in the context of a dog, but you know, hopefully. You know they got swatted in the it's, nose. It's an analogy, newspaper. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you know hopefully they're, they're going to come back a little smarter. You know, and and some of them won't come back at all, right? So the lesson that a lot of people may have learned is, oh, uh, you know, cryptos are bad, right? And mm -hmm. that, they may have learned that lesson, you know. But yeah, you know, I think everyone will eventually come back, you know, because it's my theory that uh, all of these systems, like all they do is they constantly experience developer improvement and they just evolve and the one that serves the most people the best is is going to you know just become bigger and bigger and bigger and harder and harder to kind of uh you know bec it'll become unstoppable so like you know i think that in a way like one segment that i think is fascinating is this uh gaming segment called play to earn mm -hmm. so uh, if you that? go in if you go into uh, YouTube and you type play to earn documentary, you're actually going to learn something really fascinating, which is that there's a there's a, a blockchain game called Axie Infinity, right? And in this most recent month, the game actually generated eight and a half million dollars of profit, right? And And this is really interesting when you start to think about it, because that's an IPO level of, of mm -hmm. right. That's like a hundred million dollar annual revenue rate, right? So it's it's if it were a company uh, and not a decentralized network, you know, it would it would be able to IPO. Um, and effectively, what's happening is that people in places like the Philippines and Indonesia are playing this game Axie, and they're basically playing to earn like a living, right? <laughs> and and so that's. One of the things that's incredible about this phenomenon is is that people went during COVID from driving a taxi to driving these little video things called axes, you know, and and they're and they're actually making more money doing that than they were doing things on on, you know. So when you when you want to talk about things like mass adoption and you want to talk about you know infrastructure, you know, and rules and consent, right? The thing that I think is fascinating is that this is a system that is definitely serving the people who are using it, you mm -hmm. know? And so that's, that's an astonishing kind of uh, growth. And, uh, you know, we, we, my fund invested in a, like a gamer guild and this guild is it, their entire goal is to collect players of this game and effectively rent them the game pieces so that they can play the game and earn money. So it's 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 really this absolutely wild and incredible frontier, uh, but if you if you understand the size of what we're talking about economically, it's not only is it already 
massive, but you know, it's, it's probably going to become 10 X bigger. So, you know, it's, it's truly, uh, you know, so that, that's an impressive corner of the world. Uh, you know, I, I guess what I wanted to say is I wanted to say that this is such a strange place to look for mass adoption, but to me, you have to look in the application arena, right? Which is you have to look at people using it because they want to. Right. And the thing that's really interesting is, is it turns out that these players are willing to jump through the complicated hoops of custody and self-custody of blockchain assets. And the reason they, they're willing to jump through those hoops is, is that's how they put groceries on the table for their families. Right. So, it's you know, it's like, should I learn how to do this blockchain stuff? It's existential. Like, it's basically yeah. like, oh, COVID hit my family. We don't have a, any jobs. Like, what do we do? You know, so now they've now they've joined this metaverse economy and they're playing this game and you know it's it's really like a rocket ship. So that that thing is very powerful. Very interesting. So it's you know I hear what you're saying. It's less about it's less about global mass adoption, which is almost uh, an, like almost like a a goal that's a little bit too large to even understand. And it's more about so the applications that we are investing in, rolling out they're serving they're serving the communities that actually want to use them effectively to to quite literally like to change lives at this point yes that's... yes that's the thing that's amazing right is that yeah. is that regardless of what you want to say this this firm uh yale guild has has tilted up 2000 to date players of this game and 2000 people's lives have already been changed right and and mm -hmm. people are like buying houses and they're you know they're definitely being transformed by their participation in this economic network right so you know it's it's a stunning realization you know and the reason why these things matter so much is because the idea is is that there are only a few ways for these so-called games to end right like one way to end is that somehow the rules were not fair right and then that so that the end of that game is what's called rage quit right where people just are like okay this sucks <laughs> i'm out right so that's one right um but so what if the game continues to be fair right if the game continues to perpetually be fair right then the question becomes what are people getting out of it and if they're getting something valuable out of it then they'll stay right as long as the, you know the only situation where someone will leave a system that's been fair to them that's producing benefits to them is that they actually find a better system, right? They find a system that's almost exactly like this one that's serving them so well, except it has this improvement that serves them mm -hmm. even better, right? That's when they would leave, right? But to me, like, that would be great too, right? So, you know, that essence, would be great too, but but they're on the bleeding edge right now. Like we're now we're now we're dabbling in, in human psychology <laughs> and, absolutely. and and why human psychology will, by, by this definition, I don't disagree with you, is going to almost guarantee the the future progression of this this entire I don't want to call it an industry because it's not an industry but this movement if you want yeah, to call agree. it that. agree no agree agree right which is that ultimately the thing that matters is freedom and fairness right mm -hmm. and and the reason why those things matter is because it turns out that people naturally it, it, so it, it, to me, there's there the everyone knows that there's something a little wrong with the economy the way it is, mm -hmm. right? It's a bit like when you're watching the movie The Matrix, right? They have this kind of <laughs> yeah. idea that that something is 
bothering everyone, right? And in a sense, what's bothering people about this economy is that it is extractive, right? So it, essentially, it the economy performs an extractive function on everyone in it, right? So the thing that's really interesting is the transition to an ownership economy, right? And so the thing that's very interesting is that an ownership economy is inherently disruptive, right? Because it's offering ownership to people who've never had ownership, right? So it basically is saying the user of a system is an owner of the system and that that user then gets the profit share of being an owner. And if you, if you describe a system like that, Bitcoin is exactly that, right? Which is Bitcoin is a basically reserve bank and a reserve asset. And the percentage of Bitcoins that you own represent your share ownership of the bank of Bitcoin, and you will become the beneficiaries of the profits of said bank of Bitcoin, right? And so, you know, in, in essence, that's the ownership economy in a nutshell. And it doesn't matter if you have like one Satoshi, which is like the smallest possible divisible unit of Bitcoin, or if you have 10 Bitcoins, like you're going to be treated fairly according to you know, what, what's pari passu, according to the amount that you own is the amount that you share, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a perfect cooperative model. So, so what I really wanted to say is that's why I kind of really hold out hope for these systems, because the systems by their nature are forced to compete for consent, right? And so to me, the thing that's fascinating is, is that um, part of the evolution of like human society is to kind of become smart about offering your consent right so so you know in a way i think that's one of the problems right now is that people are offering their consent to systems that are not serving them you know and they're not really smart about like why they're doing that right they're not they're, they haven't really sussed out like why does this system get my consent and why does this system, you know, not, right? And so I think people haven't kind of understood that, you know, that's that's what they need to do. And and obviously like this this is part of the entirety of human existence, right? Which is we enter into systems where we don't understand the system and we figure it out and then maybe we leave, right? Like that's almost the same with human relationships where you're basically like I'm entering into this system you know, I don't really even know what the rules are, and maybe we're making up the rules as we go along, you know, but yeah. at some point you may be like, I don't like it here anymore, you know, and obviously if you have the ability to go to someplace that's safe and equivalently good, then you're free to do so. And that that's that's what I think is, uh, you know, going to drive the growth of this. Amazing, Miko. I feel like, um, I feel like you, you, could go on for a while about a variety of topics. I don't want to, I, I, that was, that, you know what, let's, you know, we, we, this is like a, a nice little primer into the philosophy and psychology that drives blockchain um, yep. applications, DeFi. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to, I always like to go into a little bit of like rapid fire to pull out some life lessons out of yep. your career because you obviously have had an incredible one. Before, before I pivot, um, was there yep. anything else that you wanted to go into or bring up that we didn't touch on? You know. No, I mean, I think I think we're good. Uh, let's let's go straight <laughs> straight in. I appreciate it, amigo. So thank you so much. Okay, so let's do a couple rapid fire, um, just to pull it from your career. So over the course of your career, uh, 
the biggest challenge that you had and how did you overcome this challenge? Yeah, I would say this, right, which is I spent a really long time not understanding like who my boss was, right, which is I, I used to be under this impression. So like, uh, you know, like when I was a kid, like I, you know, I had a really strong dad. He had a lot of strong opinions. He was kind of like hot headed, you know, and so in a way, like I kind of found myself falling into a pattern where I would think my boss was like the next kind of hot headed kind of impatient guy that I could find, right? But eventually what I figured out is I figured out that my boss is actually two things. It's it's sort of uh, my personal nature, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, it, what is it that I'm best at and put on this world to do, right? And, and like universal nature, right? Which is what what is the world up to? What is the world trying to do, right? So if that's something that I call the big idea, so if you look at someone like a Steve Jobs, I definitely don't compare myself to him, but like, you know, but if you look at him, like his big idea was what's called personal computing, right? That's a big idea. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody and even Steve didn't know at the time when he was talking about it, how personal computing could, could become. It's insanely personal. Like it knows, it knows way more things about you than even you know about yourself, right? Like it's, it's ridiculous what these things know, but you know, to me, that's kind of what one of my well, was one of my biggest challenges, right? Because, you know, in a sense, we all because of my experience with my dad, like, like, I, I always said about being a follower and having a dependence on things like influencers, like, my dad was the greatest influencer in my life, he wasn't on YouTube, but like, he was an influencer, <laughs> right? Yep. And, and so, in a way, my dependence on him and my psychological dependence kind of like, you know, it, it was it, it really was a pretty big barrier for me you know and what i ended up realizing is i ended up realizing my boss is like whatever my personal nature is and how can i align that with like what the world is doing right because if, if you can align your gifts with what the world needs or wants like you're you're all set like that you know like you're, you're gonna go a lot further than if you sort of are, are looking for someone to become dependent on that's, that's very good advice. Very, very good advice. Um, what I know we've gone over a few, but what is the biggest misconception about blockchain, let's say, uh, that you potentially had or you've seen that you just wanted to, to sort of clear the air on? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, the biggest thing is is i you know i touched on it before right which is that the idea that we can depend on someone else is something that we've been like struggling with for for a long time like if you if you watch the wizard of oz right the whole movie is about finding this wizard that's going to fix everything right so like in a, in essence that one of the things that really kind of gets in my craw is is that people want to just passively be told what to do, right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're just kind of like, tell me what to buy, you know, and then they just buy it, right? And it, that's so toxic, right? Like, to me, the thing that people really need to do is they need to make up their own minds. There was an incredible tweet by Dan Moorhead of Pantera, and he basically showed this beautiful graph on Twitter, and it showed that what you ought to do is you ought to buy 
bitcoins when ev- when there's blood running in the streets and everybody's kind of in a panic, right? And then you ought to hold on to it, you know, and then you got to sell it whenever people are going bananas about <laughs> like some stupidity of like, yeah. you know, I don't know what it is, right? So, so yeah. you know, it, it, so my point is, is that is that being your own person is 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 that's the kind of absolute core lesson right which is that you have to have your opinion and you have to develop your opinion and you have to have enough patience to to actually study and 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 look at things and learn things you know as opposed to just kind of asking people what to what they should buy you know like that that doesn't that that can't work and and shouldn't it won't it won't end well (laughs) yes um as, as we've seen as we've seen multiple times um okay uh, what is the lesson that you would tell your younger self? Yeah, I guess the only thing that I I think is really important to communicate is is that you know I think that you should manage your energies and not necessarily as much your time. And I think because mm-hmm. it turns out that your time is non fungible, and it turns out that your convictions are non fungible. Right. So in essence, like it means that you need to develop your own convictions because that's how you really are able to kind of do do things your way. And, you know, so so to me, like that's the most precious thing. Right. And I think the other thing that's really important, if I had a time machine, is just to be reassuring. Right. Which is, you know, I think if I'm talking to my former self, like, um, you know, I, I would just say like, don't worry too much about it, right? Like if you, if you're, if you're, if you really feel like you're on your path, you're doing the things that people are kind of genuinely excited to see you do, right? If they're like, keep doing that or, or good job with that or whatever, if someone, if people, if you're getting a lot of positive feedback about something that you're doing, like write it down and just keep sharpening that and keep focusing on that. Cause like, you know, that's the, you know, cause that's your nature coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think people who are kind of trying to buckle down and, and do things that are against their nature like that, that's not going to end well, I think. Very good. Um, who is one person who had an incredible impact on your life and what was that impact? What did they teach you? Ah, it's really, uh, it's a, it's a really incredible question i this is kind of a bizarre answer but like uh no bizarre uh, answers. Ho- uh homer the epic poet uh from yeah. ancient greece so you know my favorite book in college was the iliad and like in a way it's about like getting pissed off you know at the man <laughs> you know it's a it's a bit about kind of like uh you know loot and loot dramas you know it's about kind of fairness you know and and you know it's it's really like it's really also about a person who's unable to work. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think everyone in this extractive economy that's paying any attention will come to a point where they stop being able to work. And I think that's, that's really uh, a deeply instructive story from, from Bronze Age, ancient Greece. So, you know, I would say that, like, you know, Homer, if it was actually a single person, is like a, a, big, a big influence. <laughs> Very good. Um... Can you recommend a book or a podcast that people go check out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the cheap shot is my own, which is miko.com slash bits. And, but I think if I were to recommend a book, I would recommend the book of Satoshi, which is the Satoshi Nakamoto collected writings. That's a, that's a awesome book. 
you know, and definitely, uh, I think the best possible place to learn about blockchain and Bitcoin is from books because books take a long time to write. So like, you know, you, they're not going to uh, tell you to buy a Dogecoin or something. They're going to actually <laughs> like, you know, it's going to actually be a deeper uh, understanding of the phenomena. And that, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be good. I like the little Bitcoin book. That's a great book. And uh, for Bitcoiners and, you know, so I think uh, those are great places to kind of educate yourself. Very good. And then um, last question, what does success mean to you? Yeah, I think success absolutely has to do with that perfect, these perfect moments and the perfect moments are the perfect alignment between what you're supposed to do and what you're meant to do, like your own nature and universal nature, right? Because if you see some crazy guy in the Olympics doing something weird, like the triple jump, right? Like it's that crazy combination of a person whose legs are kind of abnormally long, they go all the way up to his <laughs> neck, you know? And so it's sort of, you're seeing a person who's like designed to do the triple jump, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, that person has like worked their ass off to, to do that, right? So, so what do people do when they see that? What they do is they just instantly think like, go get them. Like they just, they're, they're, everyone wants to support that person, right? Because they're just like, that's incredible. Like, I can't believe my eyes. Like that person just went like 30 meters in three jumps or it's just, it's insane what people can do. Right. So like, if you are able to kind of express your actual nature of who you are, you know, and you're able to align that with stuff that's happening out in the world, like you, you will be unstoppable. You'll become a force of nature. So that, that I think is, you know, that, that would be my closing comment is, you know, you got to find out what that is for you. I love that. And then, um, you mentioned, you mentioned your podcast, but your socials, your website podcast, where can people go connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. The easiest thing is Miko.com is my website, M-I-K-O.com. All my socials jump off from there, my show, everything else. So it's awesome. easy, easy to find. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, 
the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 